Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with psychologist, personality disorder, and body language expert and author, John Garrison. Dr. G has a unique practice and works tirelessly to improve his patient's ability to manage or escape narcissists in their lives. He has been cited for his expertise in psychology and numerous media outlets. He is an expert in treating anxiety, depression, personality disorders, and working with couples using cognitive behavioral therapy. His own journey to become a psychologist began at the University of Georgia. Outside of work, he practices mixed martial arts and has extensively studied numerous languages and cultures in East Asia. Enjoy this interview. Excellent. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Cool. So I'm going to dive right in here. And the very first thing that I want to address is kind of the global elephant in the room, which has been COVID. We've been, you know, the last couple of years with the lockdowns and everything that's happened. I'm curious how you survived that time period and how it subsequently changed, not only the way that you live your life, but the way that you approach business. That's a great question. It changed a lot, actually, because as a psychologist and as a therapist, I'm used to doing everything face-to-face, so I'd never done anything uh, digitally before. And once I took the pandemic really seriously, so once it started, I was at home with my family, my wife and my kids, for, you know, the better part of, you know, a year or two, or, you know, once it was uh, safe to start venturing out. But what it changed was that all of a sudden my entire business model became online and that became very different. That mode of therapy felt very different, but now I'm continuing it because people like it better. They, it's more convenient for them. They can do it in their car. They can do it anywhere. And it turns out it's actually been a very powerful, positive tool in that regard. Uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of anxiety. This pandemic has done no, uh, has not done a service to anybody that's, that's anxious out there. That's made it far worse but generally speaking, as challenging as it was, uh, it's, it's, I think I've come out on the other side of it uh, uh, better overall as far as, as business goes, which really shocked me, to be completely honest. Um, and mental health-wise, you know, I've spent a lot of time with my kids and my family, and we made the best of what we could. You know, as a consumer, I know my son has sessions that we've done remotely, and it's been so much better. He has special needs, so it would always be the anxiety of getting him the possibility mm-hmm. of hedging on a school day to drive. Yep. They didn't spend much time with them. It was mostly the adults. And then we would come back and it would be this big, huge time thing. But now yep. it's remote. It's like he hops on, hops off. We don't have to worry about all of that. It's, it's actually more ideal. You know, and I work with a lot of couples and uh, they can be very hot headed. And I used to get complaints that they would be yelling coming from my office. And now I can just turn the volume down if I have to. So. <laughs> <laughs> or mute it, whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, exactly. So with what you do, you have to have seen a tremendous uptick because of just the mental toll it's taken on humans. Absolutely. What I've seen is that, you know, I work a lot with anxiety. I work a lot with personality disorders. And I work with a, a variety of different issues. But it's been tremendously difficult for people that were already anxious because anxiety at its core is really about survival, like in a very primitive way. And what we've seen is, this a lot of unknowns and when the pan and obviously we know more now but when it was going on every day it was here's what's happening next and here's a new thing you didn't know about and for people that are anxious that is like well all my worst fears are being manifest so uh, it's taken a lot of work to help people to walk people off that legend not everybody's there some people still are sheltering in place i mean they really are i've talked to some folks who have left for nothing other than groceries in almost i guess three years at this point or 
I think the thing that was the most taxing about this, I mean, there's a lot of levels of it, was that once you thought that you saw some daylight, and it always happened when it got warm out. Everybody was taking the masks yep. off, let's go, let's party. Yep. And then there would be a variant. Each variant, yep. you know, got, got more noxious. And, and still people would get it after they got the vaccine. So how can you not expect that humans would be like, wow, what, what is going on? It's like the minute you think everything's fine, the tornado signal goes off over your head. So it's, yes. it's a wild ride, man. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about that. And I'm working hard to help people continue to, to, to navigate all this. So, yeah. Well, and I, and I have a deep, deep amount of respect for what you're doing and what the profession does, even with being with my son with special needs. He's 18 now, and for his entire life, there's a level of this that's been so essential to his development um, and, and yeah. you know, feeling okay with, in his own skin on this planet. You know, and, and I'm curious with you. I'm going to go down to a level of making sure that everybody can understand this very clearly what you do for a living. I'm going to put you in yeah. front of a bunch of third graders at a career day, and one of the kids yeah. will look up at you and say, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? My job is a clinical psychologist, which means that I work with people that have different emotional disorders. Uh, on top of that, what my goal really is is to help people understand their own emotions, help people navigate those emotions, and how to protect themselves from people who are unhealthy. That's, and that's basically what I do. So let me take you to the third grade in your life. What was your dream when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to direct movies, and I was I never necessarily thought I would do that, but I always wanted to. That was always the big dream. Kind of still is, honestly, but, you know, that's, uh, uh, that, that's, that was what drove me because I'm a very creative person. That, to me, was always a very exciting idea. So there has to be a level of you obviously feeling that way where you have a right and left brain. How do you satiate that side of your head? Is there something that you do that's creative that kind of counteracts what you do clinically? I, I started making YouTube videos, I think, to scratch that itch, where I'm trying to teach people more about psychology and the way they think and feel and things like that. And I also extolp. I do a lot of a lot of various creative things. Yeah, I, I think if I, if I go too long without doing something creative, I get irritable. I can feel it. And for those of us that are like that, you know, there just there has to be some kind of out, outlet. So whether it's sculpting or making videos or doing something like that, there it's, it's always got to be there. So let's go back to the beginning of your life. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood, where you were born and raised, and how these seeds got in you to not only want to do film and creative things, but to be, uh, you know, in, in, in a clinical uh, realm of helping people. I was born and raised in the South. I was raised in a small town in North Carolina, Hendersonville, North Carolina. And I also was in Greenville, South Carolina, which are both small, fairly small towns. Now I live in Georgia. I'm, I'm in Atlanta. So growing up, though, my dad was an artist. My mother uh, was going back to school when my parents got divorced to become a clinical psychologist. So I was raised around a mother who was in the process of going to school and learning herself about these things. So there was a lot of not just an observation from a professional side, but actually seeing her learn about it and talk about it. And so there was a lot of exposure to that when I was a young kid. And so I also have two other brothers that are also psychologists. I have a, a whole family that ended up developing into psychology. And then with my father, who was an artist, and he was a painter uh, more specifically, and um, he painted watercolor, uh, like uh, woodland creatures and things like that. And he always wanted me to go into a creative sort of profession. So he always pushed me to, okay, you want to direct movies, you should do that. You want to draw for a living, whatever, I don't care. You should do that kind of thing where, you know, seeing my mother 
becoming a psychologist and seeing my siblings who were a bit older than me also going to school for that. I think I just became interested in it based on that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, in the way that people think and feel and all that. So I'm sure a lot of it is influenced by so much family in the, in the industry. So the one thing too, that's very key about our development are those that we look up to, who would you consider a hero or a role model for you in your life? I, I would say my my hero is a kid, you know, as far as, like, creatively. There's a director named John Carpenter. He did movies like Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. He's did a lot of movies back in the 80s and 90s. And he's somebody I, I was not obsessed with, but I really was interested in his work. I watched all of his movies. I just loved what he did. So he was sort of my hero as a kid. And he has sort of this don't care about anything kind of attitude. He doesn't take crap from anybody. He's just sort of, he does, does his own thing. And I think uh, very much so I've, I've followed that. Um, and personally, you know, in terms of people in my life, you know, I, that I actually know, I, you know, I, my, my mother, I think was, was a role model for me in a lot of ways and, and really still is. So let me ask you this. If you could meet anybody alive on the planet right now and talk to them for a little bit, who would you meet? Who would you love to talk to? <laughs> this may sound like it's coming a little bit out of left field, but I'm a, re- I'm a huge UFC fanatic, so like I, I love Ultimate Fighting. Um, and there's there's a couple of fighters that I'd really like to talk to because I'm so curious about what it takes to do that for a living. Um, I'm very entertained by it, but I don't think I could do it professionally, uh, even though I would, you know, might fantasize about that sometimes. But there's a there's a guy named Patty Simblett. He's a an English guy uh, from Liverpool, and he talks a lot about mental health. And he's uh, a really popular fighter right now. So I think he'd probably be, if there was anybody I could talk to, it would probably be him because I have a lot of curiosities about what it takes to do what he does. Let me ask you this. You know, for all the avenues that you've been down, all the wisdom that you've gained in your life, let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the 20-year-old version of yourself, and you could give that version of you a piece of advice based on what you've learned and experienced in your life. What would you tell your young version? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it, I think at that point, you know, I dealt with some of my own anxieties at that point. And so I think I would probably tell myself, you know, chill out a little bit. Everything's going to be all right. You know, you need to <laughs> learn to relax. Don't take things too seriously and just try to try to have fun. Because uh, life can be pretty fun if you allow it to be. So. so the one other thing that I want to kind of cover with what you do with your life, you know, you, you give a lot to people. You have to give a lot. But you also yeah. have to keep your gas tank full. So how do you moderate that? How do you take care of what you need to do professionally but kind of check out and, and go into yourself and be creative and do what you do? How do you make that pie chart work in your life? You know, that's something that we spend a lot of time working on when we're in grad school is, like, there has to be self-care. You have to be able to set up boundaries because I care deeply about all of my patients. But if you if you get involved to a place where when the workday is done, you keep thinking about it or you keep leaning into it, 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 it can become unhealthy and, you know, you're going to lose sleep, you're going to stretch yourself out. So it really is that when the day is done, unless I'm working on something else, that I go ahead, I take about five minutes, take some deep breaths, allow myself to relax, and then I go do whatever I can do with my kids that's going to be fun. You know, hopefully it's not homework, sometimes it is, but it's, you know, play video games with them or you know, uh, uh, you know, exercise, do things like that. So really it's just a matter of making sure that my workday is compartmentalized from, you know, nine to five or whatever hours I'm working and uh, making sure that I set aside time. Because I have ADHD and if I don't set aside time for things, I probably won't do them. <laughs> so I set aside specific times to sculpt, specific times to do things like that. 
because uh, it is easy for the self-care to to slip by on a busy week if I'm not scheduling times to, to take breaks. You know, the one thing that I've noticed, you know, I have two teenagers at home and, and, and I'm a people person, is that I'm curious when do you say, what, what's the best coping mechanism for, for most people now that are dealing with this anxiety in this modern world? We have a new year. Hopefully, we're coming out of this pandemic. I mean, it's not like COVID's done, but there, there's right. a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of facets of life that are coming back. What is your, you know, because as an expert, there's things that you see that we don't from a macro, micro level. What, what do you see as one of the top things that anybody can do to kind of relieve the anxiety of modern living and get to a place where maybe they feel a little bit more at ease being alive on this planet and in this particular time we're living through? Yeah, you know, there's a few things. One is, you know, as I said, I take deep breaths. I mean, I know that that's sort of a basic answer and there's a lot more to it, but I do think actively taking time to relax is so important. And even doing it together, I do it with my family because if my son has had a stressful day at school, I say, all right, I'm going to take a couple minutes, put on some relaxing music. We're all going to just sit together, just breathe, let our muscles relax, just hang out for a second and just calm down. That's one thing. Another is talking about things is so important. I mean, the reason, the difference between someone who develops PTSD after uh, certain types of situations versus someone who doesn't oftentimes relies on how much they talk about it. So talking about things that stress you out, making sure that you create an environment, you know, where, and I know you're saying you've got adolescents, they're not super open probably because at that age, but knowing that, you know, if I've got something that stresses me out, I just want to talk about it. Get a, because what we do in our own heads with anxiety, we tend to start creating worst case scenarios, particularly after living through the pandemic. It's easy to start leaning into assuming that things that are going to happen will be negative. So saying things out loud helps us unload that. It helps us process that. So talking is so important. I know, once again, that's sort of a basic thing to do, but a lot of people just don't think to do it. So fostering an environment where everybody knows, hey, if I've I've had a a tough day, I can talk to somebody in the family, and they'll listen, and they'll just hear hear what I have to say about it, and that will help me unload it. Um, Because the worst thing we can do is just to sit and obsess over it and ruminate about it and think about it over and over again. So every day you wake up, when you pop up out of bed, there's things that motivate you. There's things that you look forward to. What is it that really drives you every day? What makes you be who you are? So I would say nowadays it's the idea that I'm able to help people learn better ways to live. And it's really exciting to see someone who comes in, is talking to me, who's struggling, and then giving them some knowledge about ways that they can improve their life and they follow through and they do it and they start having a, a, they start living better. I mean, knowing that there's some way that I can help impact anybody out there to have an easier, better life is really what drives me. And one area of expertise that's sort of unusual that I have is that I work with personality disorders like narcissistic personality and things like that. And I work with a lot of people that are victims of narcissism and, uh, helping them start to get clarity that, hey, I don't have to live this way. I can, you know, either I can compel my partner to go get treatment or I can leave and give them the feelings of independence and fostering that really uh, gets me excited. So those are that when, when I wake up and I'm tired, you know, I got a long day at work, I go, you know what, like, this is going to be stuff that impacts people for the rest of their lives. So it gives me a lot of energy. So for the entirety of who you are and what you do, when you get to the end of the day, how do you quantify a good day? How do you sit back in the easy chair and look back and say, that was a good day? 
<laughs> I don't always. Sometimes they're, they're rough days. But usually, at the end of the day, if, if I feel like that at least a couple of people heard something or felt heard or felt like I could connect with somebody emotionally, like, you know, some days I'll have people that, like, if somebody gets their uh, teenager to come talk to me and they just have zero interest in being there, not super fulfilling, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but when I have somebody that I feel like I've connected with in some way, and I just, because I truly value human connection and emotion. I really do value relationships that I have and develop, whether it's with patients or people in my life. So feeling that I've somehow connected with somebody, that is a good feeling. At the end of the day, feeling that connection is what makes me want to do it again tomorrow. You know, the one thing that was key over this pandemic, you know, as someone that covers, covers the arts quite a bit, is that, you know, art, music, you know, theater, film, TV, it was huge. It was, it was what really kept humanity out of the darkness, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm curious, sure, sure. in your life, in, yeah, in, in your life and your development, particularly younger in your life, what was that for you? What, what album, what book, what, what museum, what, what was it that, like, made you sane or motivated you or inspired you? For me, more than anything, it was movies. Like, I, I love movies. And, you know, I, I talked about, you know, John Carpenter, his movies. But really, the ones that touched me in a weird way, I love Japanese movies. And there was something about the aesthetics of that, the feeling of that. It took me to a different place. And it was something I connected with that on a very deep level. And it was something that I couldn't share with people either because nobody cared about these movies because they were fairly obscure. And that still stands to be true. It's not things I can talk with people about. So it was something that I felt like I had... Uh, that, I, that I only I was experiencing and that I couldn't really share with anyone, but it profoundly touched me in a way that uh, I think did, did make me see beauty in things and did make me see life in different ways. And I think and I, I ended up studying Japanese for a lot of years after. So it influenced things that I ended up uh, doing later on in life. But uh, Japanese movies, particularly um, there's a guy named uh, Takeshi Kitano, who once again, these are kind of obscure, but his movies touched me in a way that nothing else quite has. You know, as my main my main diet is jazz with my show and my interviews, and this is the interesting thing. Yeah. The Japanese culture embraces jazz in a way like no other culture does. Like musicians yeah. always talk about when they're done playing, there's a hush. They bring yeah. LPs with Sharpies. They're old school. They love it. And yeah. I've always admired and been bespeckled by that. And I've always asked musicians that have either lived in Japan now or have in the past, and I'm like, what is it about that worship of jazz, and I, I think the best answer I got was that the way that they view deities is completely different from the Western world, and yeah. they can pick different deities in their lives to subscribe to, and jazz mm -hmm. musicians happen to be that. Like, the, the, the image of Thelonious Monk and the shades and the beard and yeah. just that, that, that kind of godly-looking guy in Cloud City and Star Wars, that's yeah. what they gravitate <laughs> to. Sure. You know, right? And yeah, it's fascinating. So I've never heard that about Japanese cinema. I need to get involved because I love like the French cinema and, and kind of those obscure, like almost yeah. indie, avant underground kind of ways of approaching not only that analog feel but the storylines. Always fascinating. That's absolutely right. And, and I will say my own experience with Japanese jazz. Uh, I, I listen to like I love music, um, and but you know, once again, a lot of my musical tastes are a little. Not, not all of them are obscure. I like plenty of <laughs> mainstream stuff, but uh, the, the, I can I can pick out a Japanese pianist anywhere. Like they have a very distinct sound and feel, and I love it. That's interesting. One of the musicians that I probably interviewed the most, her name is Satako Fuji, and she's a 
very avant player. Like she's really does a lot of experimental avant stuff and yeah. she's fascinating. And the way she thinks and the way she approaches things. And uh that's interesting. I would have never thought I'm trying to think Tokisha oh wait, uh Akiyoshi Tokika to uh Akiyoshi, she was with Lutz. Anyway, there's there's a couple yeah. of them I'm thinking about now and I'm gonna have to listen to them. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Um so so I'm I'm curious you know, everyone out there, especially in the profession you're in, they they see you in a, in a certain light. You know, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, but you're the one in control of your life. What's your perception yeah. of you? Who do you think you are? I think that I'm, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. You know, I think that I'm somebody who treats people well. I really do try hard to treat people well. I, I'm, I'm somebody who really does want people to have the, a, a good life. You know, I, I try to be very giving. So, you know... Th- th- I do think of myself as someone who really does live uh, in service of others in a lot of ways, whether that's my family or, or other people. Um, I see myself as uh, someone who, who truly does want to help people. So if anyone out there wants to learn more about you, your services, anything related to their world, where is the best place to go? My website, drgexplains.com, is probably the best place to go. Uh, I've got lots of resources on there. Um, I've got a course for people that want to de-stress their relationship a little bit because I work a lot with couples and it uh, can help you figure out ways to feel a little calmer in your own relationship. Um, but yeah, drgplanes.com is probably the best place to find me. Hey, man, this has been wonderful. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for taking some time out today. Enjoy your weekend and, and good luck with everything. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Famous Interview with Joe Domino. If you want to hear more interviews, visit Famous Interviews with Joe Domino, the channel on YouTube or on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Until next time, 